Hello, I'm Joe Mellis. Welcome to episode 42 of Pataudry PS, the predominantly Dons-based podcast featuring not just the Dons first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club as we focus on the respective progress of Cove, Peter Head, Banks of D, as well as the Northeast local representatives in the juniors, and not just football, but any sport making headlines in the Northeast of Scotland or featuring someone from the Northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey is always. Dave McDermott and Andrew Shiny. So here we are recording this episode on the morning of Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022, reviewing the league opener against Celtic and looking ahead to St Mirren this coming Saturday. Jim Goodwin came in towards the end of last season and had hoped his arrival would make an instant impact on the Dons' fortunes that campaign. It didn't, but they did enough collectively to retain their top flight status. And whilst hugely disappointing, the fans, I think, encouraged both by the number and the quality of the recruits arriving in the summer overhaul of the squad, which simply had to take place. The new look team raced to four comfortable wins in the Premier Sports League Cup group stages, rewarded by a seeding for the knockout rounds and an away tie at Annan Athletic to come. But on Sunday, the real test for this new team, a league opener against the champions at their gaff, which ended 2-0 to the champions. The Dons left to root the one big chance, but one where Celtic could have been out of sight had they capitalised on all of theirs. A uh, new season under a brain scrubbed completely clean of the previous campaign, whitewashed the submission, so we're nothing but enthused for the one ahead. And in fairness, you know, a good morale-boosting start, albeit against lower league opposition in the Premier Sports League Cup. Four games, four wins, no goals conceded, a little head of steam building, but... This was always going to be a challenge at a much higher level. How do you think they did? Uh, sadly, I think Dave and I would probably both concur. It's a movie that we've seen so many times at Parkhead before. You go down there and with a bit of optimism, thinking to yourself, keep it tight for the first 20 minutes, quieten the crowd down. And what did we do? We conceded in the first three minutes, four minutes of the game. It was such a sloppy goal that they conceded. And for 25 minutes, I thought Aberdeen looked a bit spooked. Um, there was an awful lot of players. There were probably six players in the starting eleven who were making their league debuts for Aberdeen, and it kind of showed a little bit. I mean, no matter how much you can tell players about what the atmosphere is going to be like at Celtic Park, the fact that there's 60,000 there in full party mode, having seen their, their team uh, unfurl the, the league flag, it can't really compare you or prepare you for what isn't likely to happen. And if you go and concede early, well, it puts you right behind the eight ball. But credit to Aberdeen, I thought in the last 20 minutes of that first half, they came into the game. Uh, they had that golden opportunity that I was really surprised Johnny Hayes didn't at least work the goalkeeper with, because I think Johnny's been one of our standout players this season. Um, but then second half, we didn't really lay a glove on Celtic. Wonderful goal from Jota, no getting away from that. But as you say, Celtic missed a number of chances. So in the end of the day, to come away with a 2-0 defeat, not morale sapping. There were definitely plus points. Um, and a lot to build on, but the five fixtures this month, St Mirren at home, Motherwell at home, St Johnston away, Livingston at home, and then Annan in the League Cup, all very winnable games for Aberdeen. And if they can win all of them, then it's a launch pad, you hope, for what will be a successful season. I know that there's a, there's a slight a slight unspoken nervousness, nervousness um, uh, behind the doors where they say, well, yeah, that's kind of the exact um, position that we were in a number of times last year where you looked at the games that were in front of you and they were all eminently winnable, um, but it just didn't happen. Looking at this team, though, Dave, albeit they're still 
coming together, they're still gelling. There seems to be an awful lot more about them, doesn't there? Yeah, there does. Um, I mean, by large, new recruits have, have uh, done well. Um, but I, th- I think the real test, as Andrew touched on there, will be from Smirin game onwards because just as the opposition in the in the group stages of the, the Premier Sports Cup were, you know, lower, lower league and, you know, it did give you a false wee bit maybe optimism. And likewise, we're not going to play teams of the quality of Celtic week in, week out. So I think it will be now when we'll we'll start to see just exactly what this team's got or hasn't. I think we are seeing that uh, Jim Goodwin does have preferred players. It's obvious that uh, I think David Bates will be away, you know, despite the fact that Jim's saying he's still part of his plans. That's because he's still an Aberdeen player. But uh, with the, the Warsaw, with, Warsaw said no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. falling through, I think... Um, Sure, we'll talk about Ramirez. I'm sure he is away. It's pretty obvious that uh, Jim doesn't rate him, and the fact that we we have uh, now got cover in that department. I still think we do need a couple more signings, and Jim said that he wants to make it to at least two more before the before the window closes. And we've got say you know players like Connor Barton and Jack McKenzie to come back who are. Uh, very important players as far as the squad are concerned. So you know, it's uh, you know the worst possible start on, on the Sunday afternoon. No, no getting away from it. It just was everything that Jim Goodwin didn't want to happen happened, um, and it was a sloppy, sloppy defensive goal. I I, I messaged Andrew that say shades of the last season there, in the way that uh, Walsh just you know three players round three players in front of them. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know. Let's not get downhearted. Let's think positive, as we always do, uh, which was difficult last season, it has to be said. But, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, Skills and McCrory uh, is better in midfield. You know, and, and Skills is obviously going to be one, along with Stuart, the, the first-choice centre-backs. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have Skills back uh, on Saturday and, and he will add quite a bit because he's a player I do hope we'd Managed to get on a permanent basis because I, I think he's a very good defender. Yeah, well, I mean, even if, if Celtic were prepared to sell, they were never going to do it on Sunday morning, were they? I mean, it's uh, it's one of the most impressive looking recruits early doors for me was was Liam Scales, uh, ineligible to play on Sunday, of course, because he's a Celtic player. Uh, was he a big? I mean, he's he's been in there every game so far alongside Anthony Stewart, as they say. Jim obviously sees them as his lead pairing in the centre defence. Ross McCrory slotting back for the game, meaning his contribution in midfield was missing, and perhaps we were slightly less lethal as an attacking force before the ball was even kicked, Andrew. Yeah, um, I think it was the the loss of McCrory's influence in the middle of the park uh, because you saw his replacement, Dante Polvara, sadly looked out of place in there. Um, You know, we've got five players out on loan, uh, six players, in fact, out on loan at the moment. I would suggest one player who could very well do with going out and loan is Dante Polvara um, to, to get up to speed with the Scottish game because I don't think he is as yet. Um, he, he he's not really had a chance though, has he? When he came in, he had no, an injury no, and but, then he's had a pre-season. So. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's been with the club six months, um, seven months now, and I just think that he maybe needs to go somewhere else, get game time because in all truth, you know, with scales being available, uh, McCrory's going to slot back into the 
central midfield, where he's been very good going forward. He's got three goals already this season. Um, and Alvaro's going to drop to the bench and at best is going to just get the odd little cameo appearance here and there. Um, and as Dave said, there's still Connor Barn to come back in there, mm. which pushes him further down the pecking order. So it's it's maybe one that they're looking at because uh, the area in the in the the team that I think Jim Goodwin is looking to strengthen yeah. is that midfield, yes. um, the engine room, the, the creative side of things. And I think you know Dante. He's only had what five starts, I think, um, but he hasn't done anything to me, to suggest that he would be the guy, the go-to guy, um, looking ahead to the next group of fixtures. Uh, but that's a decision for, for them to make. But um, I fully agree with what you said about Liam Scales. I think good, solid defender, but he's also very good in the ball and can see a pass. Well, and we've yeah, exactly. seen that. And they, I think... It was encouraging to see Hayden Coulson come back in. I do remember him when he, he was on loan at, at St Mirren. He played at Pataudry in a League Cup tie against Aberdeen, which the Dons won 4-0. And I think he had a horrendous game that day. I think I think he gave away a penalty and he was shot with a back pass that led to a goal. Um, and when I saw the name, I thought, that name rings a bell. And I looked back and saw, but what I saw on Sunday was very similar to Mason Hancock likes to drive forward, comfortable in the ball, good feet, but he's got greater experience than Mason Hancock has got. So I think that is why Mason has gone out on loan and Hayden Coulson, I think, will be pretty much your first choice left back. And he can he can also go inside one, he can go forward one, um, depending on how they want to play it. The thing is, well, you talked about Mason Hancock going out on loan and perhaps, I mean, I imagine football being, uh, to, to managers at least, a game a little bit like chess, you're, you're always not necessarily playing a few moves in advance on the pitch, but off it in terms of what you're going to do with signings. So they're looking essentially to replace uh, Lewis Ferguson. So they have to take in someone of, of that stature or someone they can bring up to that kind of level. And then maybe Dante Povara might go out and loan. Is that what you're suggesting? I, th- I think so, because, um, I mean, Jim has said repeatedly over the last couple of weeks that he's still looking to bring in at least two players and he he spoke about the need to cover the left back position he's done that he needs something else in the middle of the park he brought in Callum Roberts we saw just little glimpses of him uh, on Sunday there to suggest that yes he's a, a guy who can do a job whether he's back up to Matty Kennedy, who's had an excellent start to the season, or whether he and Kennedy might play together, I'm not sure. Um, but when you see, see the manager still talking about bringing in two in midfield, the area that he's mentioning, you are thinking Dante Pulvara is going to drop down the pecking order. And if they see him as a long-term project, the idea would be get him out on loan somewhere because we've seen the benefits of it. Um, there's no question at all about that. Um, well, Conor you know, Barron last Connor, season. Conor Barron came back from two loan spells at Brechin first and then at Kelty and, you know... Scott McKenna the, the, before him. Scott McKenna, exactly. Scott McKenna. You know, he had an awful time at Air United but he did well at Aloha um, and then he, he came into the Aberdeen first team and... 
he's never looked back. He's a, a Premiership player now. <laughs> and he was ready to batter people. That's basically, that's basically what we're saying. He was ready to go in strong. <laughs> um, I'll say it even if you won't. The, um, the interesting thing there, you mentioned Callum Roberts. Now, um, one of the appealing things to Jim, I think, about him was the fact that he played with Jaden Richardson before in front of him. Um, Jaden, on, on Sunday, I don't know if this is unfair, I haven't seen an awful lot of Jaden Richardson playing just yet. And by that, I mean, he's been on the park, but I haven't seen him doing essentially an awful lot. Now, maybe that's down to the way that I watch a football game. I don't know. Sunday's probably an unfair representation because Celtic tend to really pile people on top um, of those backs and you, you just can't move forward. But they did seem to have everything coming down his side in that first half, Dave. Yeah, they did. Um, I think perhaps... You know, I've seen some of the criticism uh, for, for Jane, which I, I think is far too early in his career to be giving giving him a, a go. I think he was quietly effective in the Premier uh, Cup games. Uh, very difficult situation on Sunday. But I think people are tending to compare him to what Calvin was last, last season when he made such an impact. Um, so I think, you know, the reports on... Jane Richardson are, are very good, you know, and I'm sure not without foundation. So, you know, I, I think he'll, he'll grow into the position and it's, it's very early days for him as it is for all the, the new recruits. But uh, no, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll prove his worth. And having a player that he's, he knows, you know, down that right-hand side that he's played with in the past will will help, obviously. Yeah, a new goalkeeper in the form of Kelly Roos, uh, one of the many players added to this squad in the summer, didn't really have an awful lot asked of him in the games that he played up until Sunday. I guess the most impressive thing in those was that he managed to stay alert when anything did happen because for long spells in those games, it just wasn't. But one of the things which I thought was fairly evident, Andrew, in what we'd seen of him prior to Sunday is that he maybe wasn't as commanding a presence in the box as Joe Lewis. Um, he didn't seem to come for the ball anywhere near as much. Sunday, though... Um, I don't think we could really be faulted, could he? I mean, he saved a couple of absolute stonewallers at one point. Yeah, I thought um, Keller showed us um, what he's capable of on, on Sunday because, as you say, in the, the previous games, he had a couple of saves, I think, in total in the four games, uh, which he made, but um, which were of the, the variety that had he not made them, you would be pointing the finger and asking the question, why? Um, but I thought he made a couple of very, very good saves in the game on Sunday. You're right, he's a different goalkeeper from, from Joe that uh, he won't come 10, 12, 15 yards off his line to catch a cross. Um, well, that's he's probably maybe, about a foot shorter than Joe as well, is he? Well, he's, he's <laughs> not actually. He's a big guy. Um, he's, he's about six foot three. Um, Joe, I think, is six five. Um, but uh, he's a big commanding goalkeeper. Um, I think his distribution is very good. Uh, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet, as he showed. There was a couple of what you know could have been heart-stopping moments. Uh, one in particular in the first half, I think, when Kyogo closed him down and he, he just left Kyogo looking for a ticket to get back into the yeah. game. Yeah. Um, uh, which you thought, hey, see if that had gone wrong, you would have been absolutely slaughtered. Um, but he's touched the Hamish McAlpines to use an old, an old um, example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I think it, it could well be that, um, like Jim Layton was always told by Miller and McLeish, you stop the shots, we'll deal with the crosses. <laughs> um, and I think that's maybe the, the scenario. Uh, now with Kelarouche, but um, I thought, you know, like you, 
um, I wasn't able to judge an awful lot from the, the Premier Sports Cup games, but what I saw on Sunday fills me with a lot of optimism for the season yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's a bit of a sweeper-keeper, not maybe to the extent of Joe Hart, who's almost in the centre circle and further advanced than his two <laughs> centre-backs at times. Um, but uh, I, I think... Um, you know, he, he's comfortable with the ball. Um, as I say, his distribution is good. And I'll tell you, either foot, he can kick it a long mm-hmm. distance. Yeah, notice that as well. Um, whilst we're on the subject, let's let's look at the new recruits. Um, who's impressed so far, Dave? Stuart, although he, he has had a, a couple of hairy moments in games, but, you know, by and large, he's slotted in well with the added responsibility of being the club captain as well, so... He, to me, has been excellent. I think him and Scales will form a, a good partnership. Hopefully, it's mm. a long-term one as well. Mm. Uh, we've talked about Richardson. You know, I think he'll come the goal, the goalkeeper. I mean, to be honest, there's not been a somebody which we have said in the past, you know, he's never going to make it. Aberdeen, Calvin Zola. Um, <laughs> 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 I think recruitment has been very good. It's been um, not bad, has it? Two lads from... Uh, Ramadani and Miofsky yeah. looks to be a bit about the, the two of them. And again, talking of play, uh, players that know each other, they obviously mm-hmm. know each other mm-hmm. from their time at Budapest. Um, and we seem to be buying in pairs just now. <laughs> Maybe that's a new <laughs> strategy. That, uh, <laughs> buy one, buy a chum, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But no, I, th- I think there's plenty plenty cause for optimism on the on the new arrivals. Um, on the on the last few mentions uh, there, Andrew Miofsky and Ramadani. Ramadani, I, I've been impressed with since uh, since he started. I, I think the fact that he always seems to have a little bit of time in the ball—that's always a sign of a good player. You know, he, he makes that little bit of space and then plays a pass. There's never any there's never any um, panic about him. He's quite a calm player, which is what you need right where he is. And also with Miofsky, um, I don't I, I know it's early days for him, but. I, there was uh, that that chance that, that Johnny had. Did that not come from a head? Uh, a knockback from from uh, from Miofsky. He looks like he's got a good awareness about him as well as just being able to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I think he's uh, a good all round number nine because yeah. he, he lends you a physical presence up front. I think the the Johnny Hayes chance that you're thinking was was a long ball played that he beat. Cameron Carter Vickers in the air flicked it on and then Johnny ran through yeah. and it was when Joe Hart came out to the edge of his area and really hadn't a clue what was going on yes. fortunately the ball broke kindly for him um, but uh, I think as he gets more up to speed um, with games into his legs uh, we'll see a lot from Mayovsky. I thought it was telling um, how well he took his penalty against Wraith Rovers um, you know a when he was brought down for the, the spot kick, I thought, I wonder, will he take the penalty? He was given the ball by Matty Kennedy and I think told, go and take the penalty because Ramirez had taken the spot kicks before. He wasn't on the pitch. And Fergie's obviously away in Bologna, so he couldn't nip back and put on a red shirt or a white shirt as it was at the case and stick <laughs> another pen into the back of the net. But I thought Mioski stuck it away with great aplomb. Um, and it's a perfect start for a striker scoring six minutes into his debut. But uh, I think there's a lot to come from Boyan Mioski. Speaking of Ilber Ramadani, um, what I like about him in particular, as you say, very calm, doesn't get himself involved in stupid things like sometimes midfielders do. Um, but uh, 
I think he's got a great vision. See the number of times the ball comes to him and he'll just ping it straight away. And you're thinking, what's that pass for? And then you see somebody's away out in space. And you think, he's got peripheral vision that he can see the whole pitch. Um, and that's good uh, in, the, in the middle of the park. It's one thing to see it, but to be able to play the pass as well, that is hugely impressive. And I, I've very much liked what I've seen from Ilber Ramadani. I believe that um, uh, he's got a hell of a shot on him from distance as well. We haven't seen that as yet. Um, but even early doors in his in his debut against Dumbarton, he was making runs beyond the strikers and getting himself into good positions. So there's, there's a lot to like about the two of them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... The, the the one um, of the new recruits that we've only seen a little flash from that we still need to see more from, but it's because he's not up to speed fitness-wise, is Duke. Um, I I thought on, on Sunday he, he came on and it was a, it's a tough shift playing up front on your own at Celtic Park. When you're not 100% fit and at it, um, you know, it's an even tougher shift and it showed. Um, but uh, we saw little flashes against Sterling Albion. He's got a trick. He's got a wee bit of pace. Um, so there's, again, there's more to come from him. And uh, I think um, there's a lot of optimism um, and pretty well justified optimism around Aberdeen Football Club at the moment. Yeah, no Ramirez used as a sub when Mielski came off, uh, as you say, and said, an unfit Duke. Does that say anything about Christian's future, do you think, Andrew? I think it speaks volumes, to be perfectly honest, for uh, what the, the manager's faith in the player is at the moment. Um, I would Welcome to Eberlanta. His family was down at Celtic Park um, watching the game, um, so they're all across in Scotland just now. Um, whether it's to pack up their belongings and get ready to head back to the States again. I'm not sure, but just Christian's not a guy who can hide his feelings. His body language speaks absolute volumes. The fact that he's now number 99 rather than nine, um, I know that, you know, everybody just, ah, it's just a number, but your main striker likes to wear number nine. Why did Boyan Mayofsky ask for number nine? Uh, as part of the contract negotiations from what we understand. I mean, I think he wore 11 at MTK Budapest, um, but he wanted to be the number nine at Aberdeen. He was given the number nine shirt. Uh, and Christian, who had worn nine for three games, then gets punted onto the bench. Now he can't even get off the bench. <laughs> I think, it, I, I think his, his days are numbered. Right. He's, I, I, he's, he's been a good player for Aberdeen. Um, he, he showed promise at the start of the season, but um, he, he missed a lot of chances. Um, and as I say, he can't hide his feelings. I think he's in the way out. One other thing I was going to say is, and I, I, I didn't see this, but apparently at the end of um, the Wraith Rovers game, would it have been? When he was number 99, he sort of ripped the shirt off Incredible Hulk style at the end. Just ripped it down the middle and, and threw it away, but I could be wrong with that. I don't know. That's that's only a rumor. The um, the the thing about Christian Ramirez, he was clearly Stephen Glass's man, uh, Dave. I mean, it, it, he he obviously put a lot of faith in him, and I suppose it was Dave Cormack and Steve Stephen Glass that that sold Ramirez the move in the first place. He scored a lot of goals in uh, in a bad team in a bad season. 
Um, but he's obviously one of these guys, I would imagine, that that needs to be managed in a certain way. So he's not, you know, you're not managing with the rod. It's the carrot. It's the, you know, or, or you know, you, you have to treat him with kid gloves. And that, I don't think, is Jim Goodwin's style. Am I reading too much into that? No, I think that's a fair point. And, uh, you know, it, it's obviously disconcerting for any player that when the manager who's convinced you to come to a team, you know, and, and you got on so well with the manager as Stephen and Ramirez obviously did, um, when he's replaced, you know... It's and, part and parcel of football, isn't it? It's, it's part and parcel of football, but still, you know, at the end of the day, players, like everybody else, you know, can get upset or disconcerted by certain moves. And Jim showed very quickly that he was his own man by the moves, not just on the park, but off the park as well. The changes he made very, very quickly, not least Scott Brown, um, you know, becoming a player again as opposed to a player coach. So, you know, it's, it was a fair bit of upheaval, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that when Ramirez signed, uh, when Christian signed, it was, you know, Dave Cormack and Stephen Glass were, you know, that? 100% convinced that they were going to be there for the, you know, for the duration, which of mm. course didn't happen. So, but you know, reading between the lines is pretty obvious. As Andrew said, his his days as, as an Aberdeen player look to be numbered. Oh well. Um. Now, okay. So moving on then. This uh, this weekend, it's Mirren at home. Um. How do you see that one going? Should we get a, a quick predictor on that one? Um. Dave Aberdeen versus St Mirren. Well, I I messaged Andrew when I saw that uh, ten man Motherwell had uh, won at St Mirren and they. Uh, and uh, said, how bad must St Mirren be having watched the Sligo game on Thursday night? Yeah. And, and Andrew came back to me and said, well, we'll find out <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> so, but, uh, no, I, I think um, saw enough uh, on Sunday to to see that Aberdeen should be up there where they, they belong at the top end of the league. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 Aberdeen win. Andrew? Yeah, I, I would agree with Dave there that, um, you know, St Myrna have had a torrid time at the start of the season. Um, Stephen Robinson, uh, you know, there's there's talk of him going back to, to Motherwell. I mean, yeah. here, here we are already. We're, we're talking about the first round of league games and Motherwell were managerless at the start. At the start <laughs> yeah, they, the sat, they sacked before the league kicked <laughs> yeah, That was exactly. amazing. Um, but uh, St Myrna have been pretty woeful um, and uh, I can only see it being a, a solid Aberdeen victory and I've been quite excited by some of the football that Aberdeen have played mm. um, uh, it, it's fast it's it's good passing it's good movement and if Boyan Miofsky uh, is given the, the right service I'm sure he'll score goals so I'm going to go one even better than Dave. Oh, cranky. I don't exactly. Uh, I'm going to go 3 0 to Aberdeen. Well, that's what I was going to go. I can't stretch to four. Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> We're likely to go cautious and say one, but we'll have countless we'll, chances. We'll sneak a one. <laughs> um, no, well, let's let's go four then. Whatever. Four, four, four nil. Um, the, the one thing, uh, I've got a different vantage point this season. I'm back down. Um, trackside before the game and then during the game I, I directly behind the dugouts as you are Andrew and one of the things that, that Jim is constantly shouting of, of the things that I can repeat um, <laughs> one of the things he's constantly shouting is quicker faster move the body yes. you know, and uh -huh. I, always uh -huh. encouraging them to do that you know get and Jaden Richardson as well he, he keeps saying Jaden get forward get forward but it's it, you know it's quicker 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 let's go let's go and and 
when they respond to that, they do, as you say, look really, really exciting. They do indeed. Um, I think there is more pace about the side now. And, uh, you know, Johnny Hayes epitomises well, uh, yeah. the way that Aberdeen are playing this season. I mean, Johnny has come back, um, you know, at the age of 35, approaching his 500th um, appearance in senior club football, um, looking like a 17-year-old. But we've always known uh, Johnny Hayes is just, he's a big, he's a kid. Um, you know, he plays football like a kid. He says, I just love playing football. I don't care where I'm playing. We've seen him, you know, it was at the Wraith Rovers game. He spent about 20 minutes playing it right back <laughs> for, for no apparent reason. Just probably, I, I can't see it going across there. And I think he's got that free reign um, from Jim Goodwin. And it's benefiting the team no end because they're probably looking and saying, this is the senior guy. This yeah. is the old boy in the team. If he can do it, come on, we can do it as well. And um, so I, I think, um, you know, there's there's a lot to like about Aberdeen. I think the fans that have been at the, the two home games have been very pleasantly surprised about what they've seen because there's no getting away from it. Last season was such a massive disappointment. Um, you know, if, if somebody had said to us, let's just draw a veil over this season in January, Aye, we'd all have we'd said, have done fine, it. Hi, exactly. Um, but now you're actually looking forward to going and seeing Aberdeen playing again, which is a good thing. And they, as we said, you know, they lost the game on Sunday, but they've got five games this month that they should definitely be looking at and saying, right, we're going to come out of this with five straight victories. And again, we'll be looking to keep clean sheets. They look more like keeping clean sheets. You're not always going to come up against Celtic. Celtic were good. Not at their best, but still very good uh, on Sunday. And Celtic play at a tempo that I think is the tempo that Jim Goodwin would like to play at. And I think that tempo, quite a lot of the times, is dictated by the speed that when a ball goes out of play for a Celtic goal kick or a throw-in, it's straight back in immediately. The ball boys behind the goals are told, I'm sure, behind Joe Hart's goals, as soon as that ball goes out and it's a goal kick, get, get a ball to Joe straight away because he's always looking to get things going again. And Celtic have always been very quick um, at getting the ball from throw-ins. The multi-ball system suits them and they utilise it really well. It's maybe something that other clubs should be looking at a bit more um, and maybe something that Aberdeen will look at a bit more because uh, they, they want to play a, a tempo. I can see it now. I don't care about school. You will be in here nine o'clock <laughs> Monday morning. You will train until you've got this system right. Sorry, Quite right. Quite yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there, there's been a couple of little changes um, that were noticed. The Wraith Rovers game. Aberdeen no longer oh, yeah. use the, the dugout closest to the tunnel. They use yeah. the dugout closest to the red shed. They do their warm-up in, in front of the red, red shed. shed. Mm -hmm. Now, there's it's Dual purpose, this switch. One, to be able to connect with the, the the hardcore support in the red shed from before the game. It means that the players have to travel the full length of the pitch to get back into the sanctuary of the dressing room and after their warm-up rather than just nip off quickly. So you're engaging with the whole crowd. But it also gives the manager the ear of the, the stand side linesman. And that is probably the more important thing for, for Jim Goodwin um, uh, because it was the opposition manager who was closest to the, the stand side and 
it was the, the noise coming from the dugout occupied by the opposition team that was going down the line towards the, the assistant referee to give me his official title. Just little little things like that. Now, in, in that game, in that one game that we've had there um, so far, the Dons um, did the opposite from what they normally do in terms of which way they're facing for each half as yeah, well. Yeah. Do you think that is a permanent change? Or do you think we just lost yes, the toss? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, think, I think that's another one as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Don't know if I like that one. <laughs> I just, just wanted to sound like someone from the RDS there for a second because that's what they're saying. We pay extra for people to come and warm up in front of us. No, you don't. But now you've mentioned it, there might be a premium for next season. I'll tell you all these things that could happen. Um, yeah, Dave, going back to Johnny Hages for a second, not a new recruit. He might as well be. I think he looks better now than, than he has. If you see him close up, at the start of a season, for a few years, he's very, very lean. He looks very sharp. Is it a case of, you know, when you hear about players getting towards the end of their career, they start almost to appreciate what they have more and they want to hang on to it for as long as they can. Do you think there's a bit of that entering Johnny's world? Possibly, but as, as Andrew said, Johnny just loves playing football and uh, I've been greatly impressed by him this season and uh, he does look to be right back to his best and... You know, there's no way you would think he was in the twilight of his career when you when you watch him hearing about that football pitch. So, you know, great inspiration for his teammates. And uh, I'm sure Johnny will be a key player this season. Just uh, on the on the subject of, um, you know, attention to detail and moving dugouts, getting the team warming up in front of the red shed, I wonder if any time was put into it. Now, lads, this might be the first time that you've been to Celtic Park. So here's here's a rerun of what they did at the beginning of uh, the first game last season, because a few of our players, when the league um, flag was unfurled and Celtic came out, a few of our players were sort of looking around and saying, "Wow, this place is amazing," because it, what you know, it, it's it's an intimidating atmosphere. It's impressive when they when they really go to town and they put the lights on and do all of that, and then just as the Celtic team came out, I think it was Johnny that led it first. He started clapping. As the, as the team came out, and then a few of them thought, "Oh, should we clap? Do we?" And they just look a little bit, looked a little bit rattled. And I just wonder if there's anything that you can do from a mental perspective, Andrew, that that might have, you know, prepared them for that. I think, to be honest, they were probably told ignore it and just focus on difficult the football to stuff. Like it, that. it is difficult to ignore. I mean, it was a very impressive display. I would say one of those three points was in the bag before they even kicked off because of that. I, quite possibly. Um, it was an impressive display that Celtic put on, um, second only probably to the Red Army's display back in 2014. Um, I've got to say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, um, a, yeah, it's an intimidating place. I mean, Dave and I have been there on numerous occasions when it's been, you know, party time for Celtic. And when that place um, has got 60,000 bellowing at the top of their voices, it's a scary place because there's times you think it's going to fall down around your ears. Mm. You can literally feel the place move. Um, but um, maybe Johnny led the applause because it's some of his old mates that were out there. <laughs> I don't um, know. What's the habit of perhaps? I don't know. Possibly. I just, I just possibly. Um, it was a very gentle applause. There. A couple yeah, of guys just uh, left. I think Rabbit Daddy was there. They did it as well. Oh, do yeah, you have to? Uh -huh. It was just a bit, you know, they looked a little bit unsettled. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, um, uh, to be fair, they, they gave Celtic the, the guard of honour, which I think is fully justified yeah. and and I'm pleased to see that nobody went hey what are you doing you insult the kind of employees to let them on the park oh, just go and be. barter them 
There will you know, be somewhere. Um, oh, there will be somewhere. No you wouldn't have seen Rangers doing that. <laughs> uh, <you're> right. <laughs> that, that you're that'll right. Be, that'll, be, that'll be the argument, honestly. But, but, I, but I think the league um, know that you never, ever start a season with an old firm game where Rangers are expected to plot <laughs> Celtic onto the park or vice versa. Hey, listen, don't worry. Next season, after we've won this league, I've got Jim I... coming in with a rocket pack of those red and white fumes <laughs> and he's going to land on the pitch like Michael Jackson at the Olympics. Um, for AFC women, as they, as they approach a new campaign, uh, in terms of development, they'll be hoping for, for more of the same and that same level of pace because the, the last few years have been fantastic. Promotion after promotion. Last year, a fifth-place finish uh, in the top tier. Their target at the first time of asking. couple of players leaving in the form of Captain Kelly Forrest and Carrie Doyle, both of whom announced their retirement at the end of the previous campaign. So new captain Lauren Gordon leads Dons into their first league fixture of this campaign at way to Hamilton Lackey's next Sunday. And a new um, signing for the women's team announced this morning, Erin McCafferty joining the Dons. How do you see this campaign going, Dave? Um, hopefully more of the same. I mean, it's with the... the, the Carrie Doig and Kelly Forrest departing. It's uh, they've, they've promoted a few of the younger players from the the, um, the under 18s um, So you know, as you say, Lord Lord Gordon, captain from Jessica Ogilvie, who's one of those that signed in a pro co- semi pro contract. She's vice captain. So it will be a young squad, but they've had a a year's or a season's experience at the top level. They've shown that they can mix it with the best. So I'm fully expecting, and, and of course, they've probably been very galvanised by the, the quality of football that's been on display in the Euros, um, without mentioning the final result, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think that will be an inspiration for not just English. I think it's tremendous. Footballers, but no, so do I. I think uh, 70,000 70, people sell it at, uh, at Wembley yeah. Stadium. You can't, you can't and, knock and that, that. That can only help the game. Exactly. Grow. Exactly. So, uh, no, again, like the men's campaign, this time of year, you're always very optimistic because our rebels get kicked. Um, but, no, it should be, should be good. And I uh, look forward to seeing how they get on. Good. Uh, a thumping start for the under-18s, getting off to a flyer, Andrew. Barry Robson side beating their St. Mary's counterparts 9-0 at Cormac Park on Friday. A hat-trick for Liam Harvey, a brace uh, each for Emsley and Bavage and one for Fatona and Piri as well. Nine without reply, five scorers in the team. Not a bad day out, Andrew. Yeah, an absolutely ruthless performance from Barry Robson's side. Um, they just got back from uh, a 10-day training trip uh, in Portugal, um, part of the Erasmus Plus um, educational programme. And they they had played Ferenzi, I think, out there. Um, I'm not sure what the final score was, but they were about six up after 20 minutes. And it seemed that every time Aberdeen got the ball they scored in that game um, and then they played against Hull City who had been training on the, an adjoining pitch to Aberdeen out in Portugal and they were getting lots of verbals from the, the Hull players about oh we're going to do this that and the next mm-hmm. thing to you which of course someone like Barry Robson just takes on board and says <laughs> right you heard all that stuff that from your opposition now go and ram it down their throats they did gub them 4-0 Absolutely blew them off the park. Um, and they did the same to St Mirren, 6-0 up at half time. And they uh, very, very impressive. As you see, Liam Harvey with a hat trick. Uh, Adam Emsley got a couple. Um Alfie Bavage now fully fit once again, got a couple. 
and Timmy Fratona and Lewis Perry getting his first goal at under 18 level was great. And I was just noticed that um, uh, Rangers kicked their season off yesterday, lost 4 3 to Hamilton Hackies. Joy. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and uh, Celtic, who Aberdeen play on Friday at Barrafield, they beat Hearts 2 1 at the Orion. So uh, it's two sides going head to head on Friday who have both started with wins. But um, I think Aberdeen will take a lot of stopping this season because now they're playing against kids their own age, mm. where last year they were always at least a year older than them, bigger, fitter, stronger, more experienced. Aberdeen will have picked up so much experience from their campaign last year where they finished mid-table. They got one or two doings, but they showed enough to suggest that when the when the, the playing field is a bit more level, Aberdeen are going to be very strong. And from first viewing on Friday, that is definitely going to be the case. This will be a tougher challenge this coming Friday, but... You know, there's there's something special about this group that Barry's got together. Um, they they all work hard for each other, and like the first team, they play at a really good tempo and they play some exhilarating football. For the uninitiated, Andrew, Celtic and Rangers are not always the giants at, at this level at under eighteen, are they? In fact, from last year, from memory, I think it was Hibs were the big team to beat, were they not? Yeah, Hibs Hibs won the, the league last year. They only lost two games, I think, out of. 27, I think it was, um, and Aberdeen were one of the teams that beat them uh, on a memorable night um, down in Edinburgh when it was uh, Aberdeen's 11 against 14 with the officiating team very much in Hibs <laughs> colours. Um, uh, you had to be there to believe what you were seeing, I can tell you. Um, but uh, no, I, Celtic were the worst of the lot uh, under 18 level. Both Celtic and Rangers, of course, have got B teams. Mm. who play in the Lowland League. Yeah. Celtic play in the Lowland League on Friday evening. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of team they put out in their 18s game. But both academies have got vast numbers of players. But how many of them actually make it through? Celtic's academy has been on the go for a long, long time. Um, and you go onto their website and they list all the... 41 players that have become full internationals, but there's very precious few of them have come through in relatively recent years. They haven't had a Calvin Ramsey, for example, come through the ranks, play fewer than 30 games for their first team and move to Liverpool for six million quid. Mm. So it shows that Aberdeen are doing the right things. And as I say, the group that is, is playing at under 18 level this season, um, the sky's the limit for them. Um, if they stick in, listen to what their coaches tell them and keep on doing the hard work, I think they're going to be very tough to beat this season. The Championship and the new home for Cove Rangers with a new manager in former Jim McIntyre following Paul Hartley's departure to Hartlepool uh, and the transfer in recent days of Rory McAllister to Montrose after he booked a holiday uh, for September. Their Premier League Cup campaign went probably largely as expected in terms of results, the exception of Kelsey Hearts maybe, uh, a match which lost 3-2 at home. What then would the league campaign hold for the League One Championship? The championship journey started with a home fixture against Wraith Rovers, whose previous outing against the Dons was enough to make Christoph Beda retire. Uh, that one ended Cove 2, Wraith nil. Cove, top of the league. Your thoughts on that one, Dave? Yeah, brilliant. Um, delighted uh, for Cove. Um, and Wraith Rovers are, you know, they're, they're a good championship side. 
they'll be looking to at least make the playoffs in terms of going up. So it was a fine start to leave. My one concern with Cove right now, I think they need to add to their squad. It's very thin at the moment. So if injuries, you know, hit and suspensions, they could be, be very light, but a uh, fantastic start. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that that's the way forward. They've got Morton away uh, this this weekend. Um, and they're certainly very much capable of getting a result down there. Yeah, Jim McIntyre is certainly very experienced. Dave. Were, were you a little bit surprised? You're talking about the the you know sort of paper thinness of the the squad. Were you a little surprised at the departure of Rory McAllister? Yeah, it came out of the blue. Although it does seem to be fairly amicable, it doesn't seem to be. You know, both parties thanked each other. But I think Jim's just setting a marker down. You know mm-hmm. that say, you know, if you're playing in the second tier in Scotland, you can't have a holiday during the. You know, when, when you've got a football match, um, I'm not obviously don't know the ins and outs and when it was organised and whether uh, Paul Hartley had given them the go ahead, but uh, you know, it's certainly setting a marker down for the rest of the squad that uh, you know, although we're part time, it's got got to be a priority in terms of being available for games. So, but uh, it'll be a miss, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, with Mitch Meganson, a great uh, partnership over the last few seasons, Mitch obviously carrying the mantle on himself at the weekend. But uh, Rory McAllister, maybe another one that's in the twilight of his career, but boy, he knows where, he knows where the net is. And uh, I'm sure he'll do well for Matros. Interestingly, he took the place of Craig Brown's grandson in the starting lineup on Saturday for, for his new club. So, uh, And Craig, Craig Jr. had scored uh, an absolute cracker of a goal the week before, so I'm sure he was a bit disappointed not to, be, not to have retained his position. Wondering if you if you have to replace Rory McAllister, you're looking for a ready-made striker. I'm I'm thinking about Meganson and Ramirez up front. No, um, they've they've, <laughs> they've made um, they've made fairly meteoric progress in, in recent seasons. Dave, what, I mean, what do you think the target is for this year? Will it be largely one of consolidation, or are I mean, are they ambitious? Are they aiming for the top again? You're talking about the the fact that they're they're still part time, or at least that hybrid model. Our growth showed last season that. It, you know, it very nearly could be done. Are Cove going to try and aim for the top and, and, and hope to get to, you know, the holy the holy land of the, the Scottish Premiership? Yeah, of course, every club in the Championship will be looking to get up. But I think, realistically, uh, Dick Campbell's or Ruth and Jim McIntyre's Cove's, Cove Rangers will have uh, very similar aspirations for the season, which will be consolidation to finish eighth or above because that way they avoid the playoffs in the wrong direction and they consolidate in the Championship. But uh, I think maybe a couple of seasons in the championship, and then Cove might be ready to to move up. Um, but it would be quite a culture shock for, for Keith and the, the board if they, they were in the Premier League next next season. But of yeah. course, it would be, be a shock they would want. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how it goes next week. Uh, Cove make their first away trip, as you say. Uh, when they travel to Morton. For Peter Head, a disappointing season in League One, but they've got another crack at it. Their campaign started with a tough test uh, at home at Balmore to last season's runners-up, Adrianians. That one finished 2-0 to the visitors. We've said before, Andrew, Peter Head, they try to play football in an attractive style. You know, they try and play football the right way, is usually the phrase that people say. Uh, And they're fairly easy in the eye when they're going well, but consistency was the thing last year. How do you see things shipping up this time out? More of the same? I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle for Peter Head, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
Dave's talking about Cove's resources being stretched. Um, Peter Heads are even worse, I think, um, uh, we saw in the Premier Sports Cup. You know, they, they gave a good account of themselves against Aberdeen without threatening to score a goal. And when Aberdeen got their two goals, that was it. You knew the game was finished mm. and put to bed. Uh, and they were very disappointing in their, in their other games. Um, so I, I think... Jim McAnally needs to get more bodies in there um, because it's going to be a tough league, League One. Um, and consistency, they definitely need more of. But at the moment, it's just more players to give them more um, choice of selection. Um, because the, the travel to Clyde, I think this week, Clyde, yeah. who, who won 4 1 at Queen of the South uh, last week. Um, they're one of the sides probably that Peter Head would have been looking at and saying, well, as long as we want to finish ahead of Clyde, well, judging by the opening day results, um, you know, there's a big gulf between the two sides. So it'll be interesting to see how that game goes. But um, I think first and foremost, Jim, who, you know, has, has been a long, long time at Peter Head, far and away Scotland's most long, his longest serving manager, um, and you do wonder how much longer can he go at Balmoor Stadium? Um, because, you know, another season like last season, and you would say that it may be a case of the two parties sitting down and saying, well, we've given it a good crack. I think we need to freshen things up. I hope it's not the case because Jim's is a real football man um, and you'd like to see success up there um, particularly with Cove having gone so far you know when Peter Head were elected into the the senior leagues Cove were just a fledgling Highland League side yeah. and now you look at it Cove are in the yeah. championship Peter Head are still kind of languishing they've never quite managed to take the steps that they would like to have taken um, it's a big season for them but they definitely need more numbers in Funny, isn't it? You know, you look at the, the teams that come up from the, from the Highland League. Well, I mean, when they did, it was Inverness Thistle and Inverness Caledonian, but they made a go of it. Ross County, uh, Elgin, meanwhile, are still languishing yeah. in, the, in, in, in the bottom of the, the um, of League Two. And it, it's, it's a weird one. It just, some do, some and, do. And Elgin were a massive club in the Highland yeah. League. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I guess, you know, I don't want to. Um, uh, my, my assumption is that it depends how clubs are run, but that's nothing to do with the boards of each club, and please don't send letters or emails. Um, in the Highland League, champions Fraserburgh look to consolidate that championship victory of last year in season 22-23, and they got off to a good start with a 3-0 victory in their first game. Uh, third in the table going into the weekend fixtures, virtue of the fact they scored a goal less than Brora and Forrest in their opening day outings. New Boys Banks of D began their life in the Highland League with a draw against Nairn County. In the league this weekend past, the scores like this. Brora Rangers 2, Tariff United 1. Bucky defeated champions Fraserburgh 2-1. Devon Vale won at home at 2-0 at home to Lossiemouth. Uh, for Martin Suck, 6 past Raspe Thistle, who could only manage 1 by way of reply. Forrest went down 1-0 at home to Brecon. Same story for Huntley, who lost to Inverness Clach. Uh, a local derby saw Inverurie Locals draw at home to New Boys Banks of D. Nairn and Rothers shared four goals between them, a 2-2 draw, and Wick Academy had enough to see off Keith 1-0. So early days, but after a couple of matches, for Martin at top of the table on goal difference, uh, one of four teams on six points, along with Brora, Bucky and Brecon. All the bees. Not easy to say if you're local to any of those areas. Brora, Bucky, Brecon. Uh, but especially Bucky. It's the Junior's Dave. 
Well, the um, season got underway on Saturday with a full programme of Girl League Cup ties. And in fact, there's a second round of Girl League Cup ties this evening, apart from Montrose Rose Lee against Aberdeen University, which is tomorrow night. But the, the, the main thing is the start of the renamed McBookie.com NRGFA Premier League on Saturday. And the first division and second division... What? Booky.com, NRGFA, which is North Region Junior Football Association, right. Premier League. Okay. Um, the Do they sell many T-shirts? Hmm? Do they sell oh, yes. many T-shirts? Of course. <laughs> the first and second divisions have been amalgamated to form the championship. Um, and in terms of the Premier League, obviously with Banks D moving up to the Highland League, it's going to be, I would suggest, the most competitive league for many a season uh, with Hermes, Dice, Cooter, and uh, Bridget on Thistle being the, the teams to watch out for, I would reckon. The, the ties on Saturday are Banksy, St. Ternan, Home to Nairns, Linnean, Cooter Entertainment, Rose Rose Lee, Stonehaven go to Bridget on Thistle, it's Colony Park versus Ellen United, Hermes against Dufftown, Dice versus Stonywood Parkville, and Maud against East End. Horace United have taken a year out because of lack of players, so they, they would have been Dufftown replaced them. And a new name in the championship, Banks to D GFC. They, they go in for the letters, obviously, um, <laughs> Banks to D Junior Football Club. So they open their championship uh, campaign with a game at Sunnybank. All games kick off at two o'clock. And if you want to go along to any of the games tonight, they are 7.30 kickoffs. Do you think, Dave, it's, it's going to be a good thing for junior football that Banks of D are now in the Highland League and that, you know, where in the past, at the start of every season, you just went, who's going to be finishing second? Now there's a real race for, for the honours. Yeah, speaking to, I've spoken to quite a few of the managers and, and players indeed, uh, and they're all looking forward and they do think, you know, as you say, Banks of D was almost before him the ball was kicked, they were going to win. So it was all a race for second place, which, you know, no no team wants to go out to, to finish second. You want to go to to win the league. So I, I'm, I think it'll be very exciting. I mean, the, the teams that I mentioned all had uh, very uh, comfortable wins at the weekend. Bridget on so hit seven past Bankery without reply. Cooter won 6-0 at Guantana. Hermes 4-0 away to Sunnybank. And... Dice went nap at Aberdeen University, a 5-0 victory there. And it's interesting, both the Sam Robertsons that used to play at the Tordry, uh, Sam Robertson with the black curly hair, is uh, he's signed a new extended contract at Dice. And the other Sam Robertson has just signed for Bridget on Thistle and was on the score sheet at the weekend. So uh, uh, lots of lots of ex-Aberdeen youngsters peppered about, about the place. But no, it should be, should be a... A good season as I'm looking forward to it. And finally, just a word on the Commonwealth Games where Duncan Scott has become Scotland's most decorated games athlete ever, at least until Tatty Marshall finishes on the bowling green, I'd imagine. Then they might be equal. Um, who stood out for you so far, guys? Dave, I, I would say Neil Fahey as well, but I know, I'm, I'm fairly certain, knowing Neil a little bit as I do, he'll be spitting bullets that he failed his way to silver in that second event. Yeah, he will, but he's, he's fantastic. I mean, obviously, we both know Neil and he's a great guy. Um, delighted for him. And yes, I, I I'll be honest, I haven't seen too much of the of the the action. I've been watching uh, stupidly instead of watching Commonwealth Games. I watched, as I said earlier, Sligo Rovers humiliate Motherwell uh, last <laughs> Thursday night. But if you're going to if you're going to pay for a 
subscription service, you might as well use it. So that's my excuse. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been good still. And Tony, Tony Shaw from Aberdeen, the Aberdeen uh, Paris swimmer. Yeah, always look out for for Tony. She always used to do well in the Sports Person of the Year awards. So I've followed her career since she was. You know, uh, just starting out, aged about nine or ten. So, um, and it's always good to you know folk that you you have met when you see them doing well and getting to yeah, the pinnacle absolutely. of their of their uh, careers. So, no, it's it's good though. Great to to see the Scots doing well, and as I say, delight for Neil. But you're right; he, he won't be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he will. He will use the words. I failed my way to silver. That's a, that's a common one for for Neil. Andrew, your your uh, highlights of the game so far. I've been very impressed by Duncan Scott. If for yeah. no other reason, the fact that you know so many of his events are so close together. You know, he oh. he wins wins a medal in one. Twenty minutes later, he's he's swimming in another <laughs> one. You know, know. That, that takes an First of all, supreme fitness, but great desire to, to want to force yourself to go again and go again. Um, and, you know, the swimming's been excellent. And the, the whole thing has is, is been good. I, th- I think um, a Birmingham have, have been blessed by good weather for the outdoor stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the – I watched the, the men's marathon on – and was it was it Sunday morning? Um, that was very good. Um, although there was no Scots directly involved, um, a, the triathlon again. You've got to take your hat off to, to these folk. Um, you know, swimming, cycling, uh, running, and you've got to put your helmet back into the into the basket properly, or else you get a ten seconds penalty yeah. and things like that. Um, it, it's it's been very very enjoyable to watch and they. Scotland, as ever, you know, punching above their weight yeah. and and doing exceptionally well. I love Neil Fahey's quip that um, I'm just going to have to come back again. And his his um, partner says to him, "When you're fifty, <laughs> I think you'll be what is he thirty four just now? Oh no, he's he's thirty eight. He's thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So he'd, so he'd be he'd be forty forty two then. Yeah, um, next time around, but yeah. The desire is still there. You can see it burns bright in them. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that the cycling has been brilliant again. Um, just just the whole thing, it's it's such an uplifting experience for everyone. COVID was actually quite good for Neil uh, and Laura in so much as they couldn't train the way that they used to because they weren't allowed to leave the house. They started just training at home and they mixed up what they were doing and they fell in love with cycling again, pretty much. And because that year out meant that the Paralympics went back a year, you then had the Commonwealth come round in the back of that. And you know what? Before you know it, you've got the World Championships of Glasgow next year, which he wants to be a part of because it's in his home country. And then there's Paris. So, you know, I, I think he might I think he might try and keep going until then. But the one curveball that's coming in November is uh, Neil and Laura's first baby, and that could just throw the cat amongst the pigeons for everything. Anyway, that is pretty much it for episode 42 of Petaldry PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday if we can, always looking back to the Dawn's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate some reviewers, tell us what you think of the show too. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for checking out Petaldry PS. We'll see you next time.